Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today, I am joined by Jessica Whitaker. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on Meet the Creatives. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get into it. Yes, this is really fun. Sometimes I, like I mentioned before the show, I kind of just see someone on LinkedIn and they have some crazy title and I'm like, oh, like this will be cool and I'll just get to know them. But this is weird because I normally see you on YouTube and here we are conversating on the podcast, but I'm looking forward to it. I follow your Facebook page, um, Build and Bloom and mm-hmm. the YouTube channel. Just recently I did a photo shoot and I took some of the tricks and tips I learned from your YouTube channel and applied them to my shoot and the models awesome. were like really comfortable with it. So it was, it was good. So, um, but take me from the very beginning, first camera, how did you get into it? And, and we'll go from there. My first camera was a little Canon point and shoot that my mom had just for our family photos and things. I mean, it was in middle school for me. And so I would just have my friends come over and I'd photograph them. I would photograph them in a makeshift studio, which was my bathroom. And we had a (laughs) solid white shower liner and I would use that as my my seamless paper. And then an Ikea metal floor lamp as my studio (laughs) lighting and then turn off the overhead light. And we would just get, so it would, it would be so fun. And so I would just continue that. And then, um, I, for a couple of years, and then I saved for, oh, actually I was gifted by my family, a little bit larger point and shoot is a Nikon, like a Nikon cool pics. And oh God, it could just crazy. handle larger <laughs> files. Cause the point and shoot my mom had was very, 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 very old. The screen was like <laughs> an inch large, maybe. Oh wow! And the body was like, you know, five inches thick <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> and so having this Nikon, I was able to just do more low light situations, things like that. And then I saved and bought a DSLR because one of my friends, she had this Nikon entry level DSLR kit from Costco. She let me play around with it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. The background's so <laughs> creamy. Um, and so I saved for that. And after that, I was able to really get um, my gear was, I was able to expand more on my photo shoot ideas because I had now been equipped with an even more powerful camera. And this is like an maybe junior high, high school. I continued on with it. And then um, for fun, I ended up going to school for, to college for fashion design. I did that for three years. And then I ended up graduating from um, Bellevue College in Seattle. I went to design school in New York. I also did a local design school for two years in my high school, um, high school years. And so I decided that I wanted to, I was interested in photography. I had a YouTube channel, which is, was more like my personal style. It was kind of like this creative outlet for me between my trade school and then my college design school. I had a year in Seattle where I was doing all of my prereqs at a community college, but nothing was art. And so for me, it was my outlet and I had a friend who wanted to come along to one of my photo shoots that was for fun. And I was like, okay, maybe we could record it for my YouTube channel. So he, I said, if you can find a model, then let's do it. So he brought along his friend Val, who's still one of my friends to this day. I saw her this past weekend and we did a video on 10 10 photography tips no one else will tell you. I knew how to formulate videos because I had been doing it 
for myself, but I had actually been doing it for my friends. So I kind of knew at the time how to create videos that would generate a lot of traffic. So the videos I created with my friends that I kind of produced for them would hit a million views. So I knew what to do. Oh my God. Help help me with my YouTube channel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, things have changed so much from then. I mean, I believe my first YouTube video. Yeah. yeah, From photography was in 2016, Mm -hmm. but, um, with fashion, I kind of knew how to do it, but I was also working. Um, I was working in e-commerce and I had college going on. So I really enjoyed the production process, but not necessarily for myself until I found that I could do the niche of photography. And so a couple of years later in 2018, I believe 2018 or 2016, I think it was when I was about to graduate from college actually. So I suppose that would be 2016. I started Build and Bloom, which is a photography Facebook group that's inclusive. It's encouraging. It's very different than a lot of the groups at the time were. Um, I started it because I found that the groups were too, um, they were way too serious. They were way too, also very rude, unwelcoming, especially if you were a girl or a woman in general, very male dominated. And so I, your groups are the worst, like, like Canon, like I'm part of like, I actually left some, like some groups that were like Canon, like trade buy and sell. I was like, Oh, like this will be encouraging. And people like you idiot, like you fool, you should know. It's like, Oh my goodness. It's camera gear. Calm down. Yeah. It's so crazy. And so I realized there was that need. And so I filled it and it has now and was so rapidly growing. And it has been one of the largest, most engaged photography communities on Facebook. Um, And then at that time too, in 2016, meetups were really popular, but I did not want to do a meetup. It was just not my vibe. And so instead, because we had that request for people to connect in person, I decided to do workshops, but I wanted them to be free and I wanted it to be a way where it, it was mostly just to be able to connect the local community. So it was, um, we would always have a local speaker from the area who would come and teach so that there was a point of contact. So once we left, they weren't just so you know excited, but they they also had somebody to turn to in their area. Um, and it just served as a great place for people to meet in person with those common interests. So we would teach just basics of marketing, um, how to get in t- contact with brands, to work with them, that sort of thing. And then we would also do um, volunteer projects just locally in New York City. That was another way we were able to connect the community, but for a greater purpose. I just, I never wanted to do these meetups where it's like 50 photographers and like models coming. It's just too chaotic. There's no structure there. Right. It's not very productive. If you really do want to connect community, you have to have everybody come in on that equal ground, the equal playing field. Whereas when you have meetups in person and everyone has different gear, it doesn't feel so equal all the time, especially for young for young people. So I actually worked in youth ministry for several years. So I'm really familiar with how to run events, how to structure things in a way that is very inclusive. So it came natural, naturally to me when planning these things. So then we also, um, did something called sister sister, which was a monthly networking group for young women interested in media. It ended up spanning across 14 cities in the United States. And it would meet on the first Saturday of the month, I believe. And we would, it was a networking group. It was another way to connect girls. So we would always have it still be structured where 
there was a topic of the month um, so that everyone would discuss it across all the groups. For instance, it'd be stand up and speak out how to navigate difficult conversations in the workplace. I wanted it to be more than just about your own photography business because the girls are in, you know, their school clubs or they're also working maybe in there in college or they're working as a bartender and then doing photography on the side. I, I knew I wanted it to be, have more to do with the place in the life, life they're at, which would be in school and at work um, and equipping them by meeting other girls with those common interests to build community. So a big pillar for me of my values is community. Um, and so being able to foster that has been really incredible. And so Sister Sister ended in 2019 in the summer. And then I had plans to bring it back in 2020, but with COVID, that's not a thing. And now I still want to bring it back, but it needs to be restructured a bit. It was such an incredible, um, it was the most fulfilling for me. And I definitely want to bring it back. Everything that's for Build and Bloom, a, a volunteer, it is actually registered as a nonprofit. And so I want to be able to put more time into reaching out for people to donate the space for us to host sister sister we had a co-working space actually donate the last few in new york city at least but there needs to be more structure like that mm -hmm. which we just didn't we didn't have the opportunity to do to the full that we wanted so we were able to just um take a break from sister sister and when it comes back I'm really excited because I think it will be better than ever because hopefully we will have the resources after pitching and having companies be able to donate to us for that. Yeah. So that's kind of a rundown of myself and what I do. I also teach my own online photography workshop. Build and Bloom has a podcast, YouTube, of course, and I'm excited for everything in the future now that, you know, we're kind of going deeper into 2021, more people are getting vaccinated. I'm excited to see what everything, um, what the future holds. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's inc incredible. That's like the perfect syn synopsis of everything you're doing. Do you have any advice to maybe somebody who wants to do something, they have a, a dream and maybe it's not as, because people are always like, find your niche, do your thing, like live your dream. Mm -hmm. But you really seem to just be getting out there, putting things out there, but not curating it, but it's somehow it all makes sense. I mean that in mm -hmm. the best way possible. I don't mean that to be like, you're all over, yeah. but, but I need to be more like you is what I'm saying, I think. <laughs> so my biggest thing is just to have a, be able to identify what you want your brands to be. And branding is so much more than just the colors that you use and the fonts, but it's how you're going to present yourself to the world as a whole. So with your voice, with your values, deciding what kind of pillars you really want as your core values for your own business or for your community. For instance, with Build and Bloom, it's educating, empowering, and encouraging. And so you want to make sure that those pillars are going to be able to radiate out in everything that you do. So whether that's a YouTube video, or if you're going to do a podcast, or if you are going to be doing some kind of um, visual art, the way that you market that art, maybe whether that's through emails or resources, things like that, being able to really hone in on what you want your branding to be is so important because when you have a consistent brand across the board, whatever project you decide to venture into will look like you. And it, when we are individuals who are freelancing, we have so much 
amazing opportunity to have freedom with what we want that to look like, because we're not constrained to, if you are, um, let's say a dentist and you're running your own practice, you know, you want everything to really be able to, um, make sense to the customer as much as possible. So maybe the branding is going to be super simple and clean. It might still be, maybe the colors are a bit fun, but anyway, you don't have nearly as much flexibility (laughs) as you do when you are an individual in the creative space, whether that's videography, photography, podcasting, graphic design, you're going to start selling, you know, resin products, things like that. So being able to really lean into that. And it does take a lot of time for me in 2016, when I, right before I launched Build and Bloom, I knew I had to come up with what's the color palette, which is like a hot pink, marigold, salmon, things like that. It took me maybe 10 hours. I sat in a Starbucks for six hours and I played around with the palette and then I finished it off later, but it took me 10 hours to build. And I think that's what it should take or could it's what it could take maybe not for some people it might be so much easier and now it's 2021 not 2016 so there's even more resources out there for branding but spend the time to really decide why do you want these colors why do you want this font and also beyond that what kind of voice do you want to present what kind of language are you going to use what kind of language are you not going to use i knew i was not going to use the words hustle boss babe things that just are, I don't use in real life. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to also stand out because at the time that was really common language. So that was a way for me to be able to separate myself in a good way um, Mm -hmm. and to be a bit different. So using your authentic voice as well is really important and the language that you would use in every day and how you want to present yourself. So when it comes to doing YouTube videos or podcast interviews, if this was a video podcast, I'd want to make sure that I was wearing maybe a yellow top with a pink background. And, you know, I had everything presented in the way that where it's consistent. So if you watched a YouTube video of mine or podcast interview or an Instagram, you know, post, it all feels like me and you recognize it because you're Mm. already familiar with how I present myself with the coloring and things and how I speak and things like that. Instagram stories, it's so much more flexible, but you can kind of see the point. I think that's the number one thing to do when you want it to be a multifaceted creative is to focus in on who, what, how you want to present yourself. And I think that if you can do that, then you're going to have consistency across the board, regardless of what project you're taking on, because people are going to recognize that it's you. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's get into uh, some technical stuff for photography. Like I mentioned, you give a lot of practical advice. It's one of the things that I love. Uh, one of the questions, I know it's kind of cliche, but talking about gear, I think a lot of mm-hmm. people get kind of hung up on gear. And more recently, I realized that while it's important, it's not everything like I just did a shoot recently with just like a regular nifty 50 and Mm -hmm. like the 1.8 and I was really really happy with the results and I for the longest time was like pixel peeping like I don't have a 1.2 like what am I going to do they're going to know I'm an amateur and like no I was really happy with how that came out so what would your advice be to somebody who is looking to um, maybe purchase a camera or they're they feel limited by the gear I'm sure you get this question a lot Mm -hmm. how do you respond to something like that The first thing we have to remember is that the tech industry, which includes photography, is so geared to be consumerism and driven by 
marketing and this is old, you need the new thing. There's right. launches every year, whether it's for cameras, completely new systems or lenses. There's always upgrades. There's always new versions of lenses and it's pushed down our throats. If you are somebody who does follow all of the camera accounts, you're really honed in on the up, like the tech blogs and things. And they're driven by sales, which is that's what their job is, right? But you right. have to be a conscious consumer and you have to realize that if you have, let's say, a Canon 5D Mark IV and you are seeing a bunch of people online upgrading to the newest mirrorless Canon R camera mm -hmm. and you feel like, oh my gosh, my Mark IV is three years old. I need <laughs> to go. I need to upgrade. I this It's so much better. You have to make the conscious decision as a, you have to be a conscious consumer mm -hmm. when you are buying new tech, a gear, and really make sure that you are doing it from a place of number one, financial wisdom. Is it a good investment truly for your wallet and bank account and not just your business, but can you swing this? So just making sure that you're making wise decisions as a consumer and that you are aware of how this whole system works, you know, how it is capitalism. And so mm -hmm. just being aware of it, and that's the best way to make decisions on what you're going to purchase. And maybe you do need to upgrade your gear and you can still do that with wisdom. And a great way also to buy is to buy used. So I love KEH. That's where you can buy, you can sell, you can trade and you can repair your camera equipment. It's so much more, um, it's cheaper, like up to 40% cheaper. And it's also so much better on the environment, whether you're buying or if you're selling, because if you're going to sell your gear, a lot of the times it could end up in landfill. If you just, it's so, such an old lens, you can't get anything for it. You are going to drop it off the thrift store and that's going to end up in the landfill or you're going to just throw it away. It's going to end up in the landfill. So buying used is the best, one of the best decisions I think you can make when it comes to purchasing gear. So I know you've made a whole bunch of practical content, you know, about gear, about um, posing. I, you actually taught me how, how to, to do this thing, like with women, how like you go like from up top rather than like below. Cause like it elongates their mm -hmm. legs. I just did that recently. So that's kind of fun. But of all the pieces of content that you've created, like if you were to, if someone was new to your channel, what are some of the, your favorite videos that you've made and would be a good place to start when they're checking out your, your channel? For anyone who is just beginning out in photography and you are starting from zero, I would say the videos where I teach how to shoot on manual mode a lot of the times it can be really overwhelming to learn manual. The resources out there are very overly technical and with every video on my channel, I make it a point to teach so practical, very simple and to the point. And then from there, people can decide if they want to go to those other resources to learn even more in depth. But I want to be a, like a launching point for people. And so any of those videos, how to shoot manual, if you're interested in learning how to do film photography, I also teach it very practical. And then if you are using your camera in your business, whether it's for photography or you need a DSLR for your own goods and services, then I have lots of videos on what lens is a good fit for you, budget lenses, lens comparisons. And again, broken down very simply, not over technical people the average person just wants an answer. Should I buy this lens? Yes or no. And my videos, I try to make it so focused in where by the end they know mm -hmm. instead of continuing to do the research and continuing because chances are they've already done the research on the lens, but they're left with that question. I don't know if it's 
worth the price? Is it, am I going to be able to use it in different situations? So when they come to my channel, I want the consumer of the content to be able to always make a decision by the end of the video. So I know that that in, in portrait photography, which is a, a good amount of what you do, not all of it, obviously, but I know that some people swear by the 35, like Julia Trotty, another one of my favorite mm -hmm. YouTubers out there. She is like huge on the 35. I love the 35. Yeah. More recently, I've been having kind of a love affair with the 50 millimeter. Um, I definitely could see how like the 1.8 is good, but in low light can be kind of like limiting. But the focal length of the 35 and the 50, that's kind of like where I'm at now. Before do, do you have a preference and like, do, like, do you have a favorite? My favorite of all time, if I had to just pick one would be the 50 millimeter 1.2 from Canon, mm -hmm. but that's only in recent years before um, it was the Sigma 35 R. And that is still one of my most used lenses um, for whenever I'm out traveling. If I had to just pack one lens with me for a trip, it will be the 35. And so I think because the 50 has become my favorite in the past two years, it's because I haven't been traveling. Mm -hmm. And so I have more of that flexibility for shoots where I can move back. I'm not, you know, snapping photos of architecture or little things that I see. I don't need to include the architecture maybe in my photo. If I do, it's the space needle and I can easily, you know, scoot back and things like that. So right. it's interesting to see as like my lifestyle has changed what lenses also become favorites. So right now, definitely the 51.2, but I also love the 35 and I love using them in conjunction with each other. But when I go on a trip for myself, like my own kind of vacation, I really want to be pretty light with my gear. And so I do choose the 35 for that because you can create beautiful portraits with it. You have to know how to use it, mm -hmm. but it's, it's simple once you get it. So I have mm -hmm. like the, the lower end of the budget. I have the 35 1.8 and then the 50 1.8, the RF lenses for the R6. And mm -hmm. there's the 85 F2. And as some, I want to do like portraits, like my dream is to do like cool portraits of like celebrities and, you know, like every other photographer kind of thing. But I don't have the 85 and I, but I definitely want to have like that sort of that versatility with the, with the prime lenses. If you had those two lenses, like the 35 millimeter and the 50, would you get the 85, like the cheaper 85 or would you save your money and go for one on the, the lower end of the spectrum and just kind of like work that 50, if, if that makes sense? That's a good question. And I do get that it's very popular question in the build and bloom Facebook group. So I would say the first thing is looking at your own financial situation. Honestly, is it wise for you to upgrade right now? If it's not, and you want it to be a goal, how are you going to hit that goal? Then looking at, could I buy it used on KEH and save a couple hundred dollars? If I buy it used, does that mean that I could then buy it um, the 1.2 versus the 1.8 that or the 1.4 that I was originally going to get? So I'm going to save money, but I'll spend the same amount, but be able to upgrade. So it's making those own financial decisions for yourself and wisdom and seeing if you're going to be able to get that return on your investment. How many shoots do you have booked for the upcoming you know, quarter. So again, like I said before, being a conscious consumer and making those wise decisions. And then you can, you know, ask yourself, is this going to improve my photography? Will this enable me to deliver even better work to my clients? Will I be able to raise my prices so I get even more of a return, a return on investment faster? 
with the purchase? And if the answer is yes, then go for it. But it is so different for everyone, right? The 85 is a beautiful lens. I don't own it, but I rent it and I love using the 85 1.2. It is a lens though. That's not as versatile, but if you are doing portrait photography, it will work great for you. It's going to produce some beautiful images. So it's so individualized. And I wish I could tell everybody, yes, complete your trio, have a 35, <laughs> 50, 85, or, okay, you have a 35, you're deciding between a 50 or an 85, go for the 85. It's so, it's so hard to say for everybody, but that's my advice. And that's how you, with that kind of mindset and asking yourself those questions, that's how you can make purchasing decisions with all of your gear and all of your equipment, right? So just to kind of taking those questions, asking yourself, you'll know the answer and you'll either know it instantly or you'll know it after you look over the books. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Exactly. A few months ago, I was talking to some of my photographer friends and I was saying about how I was admittedly kind of struggling to get out of the comfort zone of photographing like my friends and family and doing like free shoots and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Recently, I've done my first like legit paid gigs. I know my skill set's there and I know that like my, my portfolio is now coming together, but it took a long, I've had a camera for a significant amount of time mm -hmm. and it's pretty crazy that only just in the last couple of months that I've actually started like booking clients. So how do you mm -hmm. bridge that gap between you, you've learned this stuff, you have the website and then you have to like go, did you have that moment and how did you overcome it? I think it will come naturally because you're going to get inquiries from people, whether it's the people in your town that you photographed and then mm. they come back and say, can we meet up and shoot? Or can you do my sister's graduation photos? Mm -hmm. And then it's going to, and chances are Rob too, you probably have inquiries in your inbox or you will soon as you post your work. Yeah. And that's the natural transition. You can also though, post that you're booking clients. Mm -hmm. We have so much flexibility and this amazing freedom with our social media to advertise ourselves completely for free. We don't need to use these services that we once might have. We can do Instagram and optimize our website to be searched and ranked in Google. And so it's really about preparing yourself so that when you do get those clients, you're ready to roll. You're not going to be making these mistakes. You won't be shooting without a contract. You won't, um, you're going to have a workflow and you're going to have that timeline of when you're going to deliver the photos and a layout of your pricing. And what does that include and in setting those clear expectations with your clients. So preparing yourself with not just your gear, but your actual workflow, your client experience, customer service, and then posting about it. Or once, this, once you have those inquiries that you might have in your DMs right now, responding to them and getting them synced and put into that workflow. It's all about preparation and the, the better prepared you are, the less mistakes you're going to make and the less time it's also going to take to complete a session from start to finish. You can automate your, um, your booking process with HoneyBook. I love HoneyBook, but for the photographers who are listening, who are like, okay, it's not happening for me. I don't have any inquiries in my inbox. Mm -hmm. Start sharing on Instagram, start optimizing your profile. It's not about growing your account to have lots of followers, but it's about targeting your ideal client. And there are so many resources out there for you to learn how to use your Instagram and optimize it. I have lots of resources for how to set up your website to the full potential that it can be. So you can naturally get those inquiries, but you can see it's all about that still as part of the preparation process. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, let's wrap this up. You've been so gracious with your time. Thank you for doing this. Watching your YouTube videos will be even cooler now that we're friends, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where can people find you online? Where can people get involved? If this is your first time hearing of Jessica, I strongly recommend checking it out. I really feel like I'm not going to be broke anymore after finding your YouTube channel. So, and building <laughs> obviously. So where can people find you? You can find me on YouTube, Instagram at Jessica Whitaker. And then for the build and bloom community, you can follow along on Instagram at build and bloom. You can check out the Facebook group. It's just build and bloom by Jessica Whitaker in Facebook groups. There's also build and and the build and bloom photography podcast. Awesome. Yeah. Your podcast is amazing. Sometimes if I need to be inspired, I listen to that and I love your little like tangents. They kind of, I feel like <laughs> our, our minds were kind of similar. It's all over the place. I, don't, I can totally follow it. Uh, and it's the one place I let myself not be so polished with the sentences. Like I let myself really like think and have a stream of consciousness. Yeah. Cause your YouTube channel is like very like tightly edited and like, it's interesting cause you get like kind of two sides of it. So just to return some value, your booking sessions in Seattle, is that still... Thursday. Yeah, I book I book in Seattle and also in New York City. That's awesome. I went to Seattle for the first time the year before COVID and I loved it. I cannot wait to go back. Seattle is amazing. So thanks so much. It's been fun. Thank you. Bye.